God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today, and thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, wherever you are, as you know, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises He has for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis in chapter 35, Hasefer Bereshit. Remember? Be'ivrit in Hebrew, Be'ivrit, Hasefer, the book, Bereshit, Genesis. Be'perek, Shloshim Vechamesh. That's where we're going to be today, chapter 35 in the book of Genesis. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video, just to make it easier for you to follow along. And today I'd like to talk to you about returning to God. You know, God often calls people back to Him where they were at the beginning of their relationship with Him. There's times in our lives where we forget and we go off on our own and one thing takes our mind away from the Lord and we start planning our own way and we start having our own plans for life. And first thing you know is you look up and you're in trouble. You're in trouble and you haven't talked to the Lord recently. You haven't really called on the Lord recently. You were so busy thinking about what it is that you wanted to do, all the things that you had to do, all those things that you thought you had to do to have peace and security in life, and then some problem happens that only God can fix. And really, honestly, that's all the problems that you would face. You really can't fix any of your problems. Oh, you may try, and you put it together, and you know, and you back away, and it holds there for a few seconds, and then it just falls all apart. But when God fixes things, they're solid. When God fixes things and puts it all together, it doesn't just fix that little thing that you're working on, that tiny little part of life. It fixes everything when God fixes it. And God sees the trouble that we go through when we're not with Him, when we've forgotten about Him. He sees the troubles that we cause ourselves because we've forgotten about our first love. And then, as we're in trouble and we cry out to Him, He comes back and He rescues us. He didn't leave us. We left Him. And He comes back to us and tells you, okay, now let's go back to the place of God. Let's go back to your first love. Let's go back and rediscover that relationship that God wants to have with you that one that made you so happy when you first found out about him? Well, that's what's happening with Jacob today in chapter 35 of the book of Genesis. We're only going to go through the first 15 verses in this chapter, but there's a whole lot of message there. You see, Jacob had been told by God when he left Padan Aram and where he was working with Laban, an uncle, and he married his two wives, Leah and Rachel, Rachel, as you would say, but Be'ivrit in Hebrew, it's Rachel. Rachel is Rachel, and then Leah, it's the same. But Jacob had been there in Padanaram with his uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban was taking advantage of him. He didn't really keep any of his bargains that he made with Jacob. He kept trying to use Jacob for nothing and pay him nothing. Jacob was a blessing to Laban. Everything that Jacob touched while he was working for Laban, all the sheep, the flocks, all the work that Jacob did, God blessed Laban greatly because of it. And now Jacob has his own flocks and they've grown and God has blessed it. He didn't steal any of them from Laban. But God blessed Jacob and multiplied his flocks. And now he's got all of these people with him and he's left. And Laban has caught, caught him and as he was leaving some distance away. And Laban was angry at him at first. But the night before Laban went over and talked to Jacob, 
God warned Laban, don't you do anything bad with that man. He's mine. Don't touch the anointed of the Lord. That's what he was saying. And then we saw that Jacob met Esau. And he thought Esau was going to kill him because 20 years earlier when he was leaving his own home in Canaan, his mother, Rebekah, had told him, your brother is going to kill you because he thinks that you've stolen his blessing, which you did, and that you've got his birthright as well. So he's so angry with you that he's going to kill you. Well, Jacob ran for his life to Padan Aram. And there in Padan Aram with Laman, he worked seven years for a wife. He thought it was Rachel. But Laban tricked him and gave him uh, his, his older daughter instead, who was Leah. And then he said, well, you got to work seven more years to get my younger daughter, Rachel, Rachel. That's the wife he wanted to begin with. But he loved her so much, he worked that seven other years for her. And then he agreed to work seven more or six more years for flocks in exchange for him taking care of the flocks of Laban, that he would have certain ones from the flock, speckled and spotted and striped sheep and goats, which are very rare. They hardly ever happen. And Laban said, oh, that's a great deal, of course. I'll get all the white ones. I'll get all the solid color gray and the solid color brown ones. And you just get the speckled and striped and spotted. Yeah, I'll take that deal any day. That's what Laban was saying. But yet God caused it to happen that all the sheep and goats started having speckled and striped and spotted uh, kids and, 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 and goats and sheep, you see. So it multiplied Jacob's flock. Now he's got all of this flock. He went to meet his brother Esau thinking that Esau was going to kill him. He heard that Esau was coming against him with 400 men. Jacob didn't have 400 men. He had a few people and goats and sheep. And then he had his children and his wives. And he was afraid that Esau was going to kill them and kill him as well. But then God changed Esau's heart too. God's taken care of Jacob. Then God tells Jacob, said, Jacob, I want you to go back to the place where you first started. Go back to your home, go back to your family, and I will be with you. That's what God said. I'll be with you. But Jacob didn't go to his home after he met Esau, and that worked out okay. Somehow God had changed Esau's heart. After that happened, Jacob decides to go the opposite direction. From where he told Esau he would meet him later on at Seir, he went the opposite direction instead went down to a place called Shechem. And Shechem was a very pagan place where the people who were the inhabitants of the land of Canaan worshipped false gods. They worshipped idols. In fact, they had horrible uh, idols that they worshipped. Some were sacrificing their children. They had sexual abuse of women. And it was actually reported to have been part of their religious activities, these horrible things. It was so horrible that when Jacob took his family there, he had 11 sons at that time. And then he had Dinah, or Dinah as you would say in English. But Dinah was his daughter. He had one daughter and had 11 sons. And Dinah had wandered out into the city and said, well, I'd like to, I'd like to meet with the daughters of the land and, and see what they're like and everything. Well, she was raped when she went out. It turns out that in that culture, you didn't send a single woman out by herself. And so anyway, it was the prince of that, uh, of that people. Uh, and and uh, his father was one of the rulers of those people. The prince of that people took and raped Dinah. It was a horrible, horrible thing. But when they went back to report it to Jacob, Jacob didn't really seemed worried about that. All he was worried about was himself. He said, well, now what am I going to do? You know, because Shimon, his son Simon, and Levi, or Levi, as you would say in English, 
came up with a plan and they killed all of the men of the city where the guy lived who had raped their sister Dina. Okay? And then Jacob, still not saying anything about Dina at all. She's the victim here. Jacob says, what am I going to do? Because now all the people that hear about what you did are going to gather against me and they'll kill all of us and they'll kill me and we won't be anymore. Well, Jacob, what about your daughter? What about precious Dina? What about her, Jacob? Why are you not thinking about her? It was all about him. And he actually went to this place thinking he would do business with these people and it'd be a good business opportunity. You see, in both of those situations about Dina and about going to the wrong place to begin with, it was all about him. It was all about the wrong things. He had put aside his relationship with God. God told him to go home to his family and be with them. Instead, he went this other place a long ways away from there and tried to make his own business arrangements and all like that. And his daughter got raped and all these men of the city were murdered by two of his sons. Even though one of them was the one guilty, all of these men were murdered. That wasn't a godly thing to do. God wasn't punishing those people because of their sin against Jacob's daughter. It was the one guy that had done that but the sons of Jacob, Shimon and Levi, Simon and Levi, went out and came up with a plan and had these guys uh, convinced to be circumcised. And on the third day when they were extremely weak and couldn't even get up, Simon and Levi went in and killed all of the men of the city, took all of the possessions and all of these things. So Jacob looks at the situation and says, well, I'm not going to be able to live here anymore. Because people are going to hear about this from the other cities and they're going to gather together and become a big army and they're going to come against me and kill all of us. He hasn't said anything at all about Dina, his daughter. He hasn't shown any remorse at all about those men who were murdered. He's concerned with himself. But wait a minute. Didn't God meet with Jacob on the way out of Padanaram? When he saved him from Laban, when he saved him from Esau, and God wrestled with him. Remember that night when he was sleeping? He was wrestling with trusting himself or trusting the Lord. Remember the Lord touched his hip and it became out of joint. And then Esau came and God had changed Esau's heart and he didn't want to kill him after all. And they, they, they hugged and everything. It was amazing. Esau had 400 soldiers with him, if you will, these 400 guys. And these guys must have been looking at each other going, what are you doing? I thought we came to fight this guy. And here you are hugging him and kissing him and, and, and saying, oh, we missed you so much and everything. And God changed Esau's heart. But then God spoke to Jacob right before Esau came and said, I'm with you. I'm going to be blessing you. Here's where I want you to go. I want you to go back to your family. I want you to go back to your home, and I'll be with you. But then Jacob goes to somewhere else because he sees a business deal there. He goes somewhere else. You see, God doesn't leave us. The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he says, Babret Chadashah in the New Testament. Ha-brit ha-chadasha. That's how you say the New Testament, the New Covenant. God says He'll never leave us or forsake us. But you can walk away from Him, you see. And that's what Jacob did. Now we don't know if Jacob really thought about this when he walked away from the Lord. It could have been that he just lost track of things. Maybe he wasn't used to thinking about God when he wasn't around Laban. When he was at Laban's place, Laban, his sons were there. Jacob had to be careful because he was all alone. But now he's got a lot of people around him. Now he's left Laban. He's seen God warn Laban. He's seen God change Esau's heart. Now Jacob feels a security and it seems like he's almost thinking, well, I don't need God anymore. Everything's okay. Can you understand that? You see what I'm saying? Have you ever had times to where 
In your problems, you cried out to God. You said, Lord, I really need you now. I need you, God. Please help me. And then he helped you, and you didn't recognize it. The problems went away, and then you forgot about God. I heard the story about a man going around a, a Walmart, a big store in a parking lot, and all these parking places were filled up. But he wanted to park real close to the front door. It was almost impossible. The whole parking lot was filled up. So he's driving up and down there, and he's close to the front door of the store. And he says, okay, God. He says, I'll make you a deal. If you give me a parking place by the front door, then I'll start coming to church. I'll pray every day. I'll read the Bible every day. And from now on, I'll live my life for you. And then all of a sudden, a car right in front of him pulls out of this wonderful parking place right next to the front door. And then the man says, oh, never mind, God, I already found one. God did that. But the man did not recognize the working of God in his life. It's easy to not see God working in your life. He does things that are supernatural. But he does them many times, most of the times, in natural ways. And what does that mean? It means that you might be tempted to think that what just happened was just a coincidence. It wasn't really God working. Something just happened at the same time something else happened. That guy just happened to be pulling out of that parking place. When I asked God to provide me a parking place, it's just a coincidence. That wasn't God answering the prayer. No, that was God answering the prayer. And you missed it. And my Jewish brothers and sisters, that's the way it is with HaMashiach, the Messiah, Yeshua. I'm Jewish, you know as well. Our people, we missed it when he came. But now you can believe on him and be saved, because he is the Mashiach me Elohim, the Messiah who was sent from God the Father. We see, though, that when people forget God and they go off on their own, that their life doesn't go well. They're away from God. They're not relying on God's care. And God is saying to Jacob now, in this first part of this chapter today, that you, you need to remember the first time when I met you. The first time when you heard of me. I remember the first time God revealed himself to me. The first time God spoke to my heart and the love that I had sensed that he had for me. There was no condemnation, only love. Only forgiveness and, and compassion for me. All for simply telling him I needed him. Bethel, as we had said, is where God is calling Jacob to return to in this chapter. And we spoke about that at the end of last week's message. Bethel is, remember how it says it, Be'ivrit in Hebrew, Beit El. Beit is place. El is just a shortened way of saying Elohim or God. So the place of God, Bethel. Beit El, if you will. And Beit El was the place where God began to reveal himself to Yaakov or Jacob. And God had declared to him way back in Genesis 28, verse 13. He said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. He, he was talking about his grandfather, Abraham. And the God of Isaac, your father. And God promised to Jacob, the land where you lay down, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. God told Jacob that his descendants would be as numerous as the dust on the earth, that they would spread abroad to the west, to the east, the north and the south, cover the land. And God told him that all the families of the earth would be blessed in his descendants, in his seed. Then in verse 15 of chapter 28 of the book of Genesis, God also told Jacob, remember, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you again to this land. He's talking to, uh, bringing him back in Canaan. 
you see, to his family. God told him all the way back then when he started his journey to Padan Aram. And God said to him, because I'm not going to leave you until I've done all that I've said I was going to do for you. And then it was there at that time, way back in Genesis 28, that Jacob became conscious of the presence of God. And then he said, truly, the Lord is in this place. Remember, he said, truly, the Lord is in this place. After he had this encounter with God, saw all of these angels, he said, surely, truly, the, God, the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know, God is with you a lot of times when you don't even know it. God is there waiting for you to seek him out. And he says in the book of Yeremiah Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet, that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now this is the place originally, way back then, where Jacob made a covenant with God. Jacob said after he met God for the first time, Jacob said in a vow in verse 20 of chapter 28 of the book of Genesis, way back when we studied that, he said, if God will be with me, and if he will keep me in this journey, and if he will give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I can come back again to my father's house in peace, without my brother trying to kill me, then the Lord shall be my God. That's what Jacob said. And Jacob said, he set up a stone, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar, he said in verse 22 of chapter 28, he said, this shall be God's house, and all that God shall give me, I will surely give a tenth unto him. Now, after this Shechem ordeal, while all these men are murdered, where Dina, his daughter, has been raped and violently abused. God doesn't condemn Yaakov. He comes to him in the first of this chapter that we're studying today, Genesis 35. And he just calls Yaakov back to the place where he made a promise. Yaakov made a promise and a commitment in that previous chapter back there in Genesis 28. Now we're in Genesis 35 and God's brought him back. God's been faithful. He promised, he promised God that if God would do certain things for him, then the Lord would be his God. Well, at this point now, God has done all those things that he said he would do. But Jacob is not keeping his promises to the Lord. Now the circumstances and the fear of the other people coming against Jacob and his family and killing them because of what happened to all those men in Shechem because of Shimon and Levi, Simon and Levi. Now the fear and the circumstances are what's causing him to go back to the place where he made that original contact with God back to the place where he made those promises to God, back to the place where he made those commitments to God. You see, God sometimes uses trials or hard circumstances to bring us back to him. He doesn't like for us to go through those things, but he will use those to bring us back to him. And he knows that when we're back with him in his presence, he can protect us, he can keep us, he can provide for us. I'm so glad that God doesn't give up on us, but he helps us come back to him, all without condemning us or getting angry with us. He simply loves us, he simply wants the best for us. And in his presence is where that blessing is. He cares for us, he leads us, he guides us, he protects us, provides for us. When we're with him, we don't lack anything. That's why Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's saying, I shall not lack anything when the Lord is with me. And God has promised for his part to always be with you. So if you leave the Lord, God wants you back with him. So return to the place, Beit El, the place of God, where you first met him and return to your first love.
So today we see the wrapping up of the stories of Isaac and, and his son Yaakov. Now we're going to finish the second part of this chapter next week, but we'll go through the first 15 verses now. So let's begin reading now Genesis 35 verse 1, starting on the same verse that we ended at last week. We'll cover that one again because it's important to the message. And it says in Genesis 35 verse 1, Then God said to Yaakov, Arise, go up to Beit El, and dwell there, make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. All right, we'll stop at that first verse. We'll pick up speed in a little bit, but right now let's just deal with this first verse. We know from the previous chapter that Yaakov is afraid. His sons have done a horrible thing of treachery and deceit that put his whole family into jeopardy. The consequences of what they did could be disastrous. The cities around there could rise up and band together with each other and fight him and kill him and his whole family, just like his sons did all those men in Shechem. And later on in Genesis, we're going to find that Yaakov is a very old man, and on his deathbed, he even cursed the anger and the self-will that led his sons to their actions. He didn't bless those two sons. He didn't have good things to say about them. Other sons were blessed to some degree, not those two sons. He remembered what they did when they murdered all those men. Now, Yaakov realized that they would have to move on. It was not safe to stay near Shechem anymore. This is when God said to Yaakov, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar unto God. Many times God lets you realize that you can't make it without him. He lets you come to the conclusion that you're facing a problem that only He can fix. And then He will come to you and say, Okay, it's time to move on from here. You come out of here and go back to that place that I told you to go originally. That place that you did not go to, you went somewhere else that you thought would be better. Now get up. I'm not blaming you for that. I'm not condemning you for that. But here's how we fix it. Go back now and simply obey me. Simply do what I told you to do originally. You know, I love the way the Lord directs us. He directs us in love. God could have said all of these things to him. could have said, you didn't listen to me. And now you're in this mess. See what you did. You should have listened to me. You should have done this instead. No, no I, you want to do your own thing. And you should have done this. And I don't know if I can work with you anymore, Yaakov. He didn't say any of that. He simply came to Yaakov and says, Okay, get up now and go back to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar to me. No condemnation, just love and forgiveness. God often calls people back to Him when they're away from Him, and He calls them back to the beginning of their relationship with Him. He causes them to remember and consider what it was like when they first came to Him. Bethel was a place where Yaakov had his first encounter with God. The first true encounter with God is always an exciting experience. I remember the first time I became aware of the reality of God. I remember the first time He revealed Himself to me, the first time He spoke to my heart, and the love I sensed that He had for me. No condemnation, just love, love and forgiveness. Bethel was the place where God began to reveal Himself to Yaakov, and we all have our Bethels, I think. God had said to him all of these things, all of these promises, and now he's causing Yaakov to come back and remember those and to come back and seek the Lord again. That's what's happening here. Then we get on to verse 2, finally. And it says, And Yaakov said to his household and to all who were with him, Okay, put away those foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves, change your garments, change your clothing, and then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Yaakov all the foreign gods that were in their hands 
and the earrings that were in their ears. And Yaakov hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And those cities did not pursue the sons of Yaakov. So Yaakov came to lose, in other words, Beit El. That's the place that he had called Beit El. It was a, it was a town named, uh, an area named Luz. It was out in the wilderness, but Yaakov called it Beit El because that's where God had met him, you see. So he called it the place of God, Beit El. And he said that's in the land of Canaan in verse 6. He and all the people who were with him, they came there. Then verse 7 continues. It says he built an altar there and called the place El Beit El. And you say, well, Stephen, I thought you said it was Beit El. Well, El Beit El. Remember I said that El is just a shortened way of saying Elohim. And Beit El means place. Beit is place. El is a shortened way of saying God, Elohim. So place of God, El Beit El, simply means God of the place of God. This is the God of the place of God. And he made that altar and called the place El Bedel, God of the place of God. He's trying to honor God through this simple act of building a small altar. Because there God had appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother 20 years earlier. Now we see that Yaakov recognizes that something has happened to him. And that he's become kind of assimilated with the world. He's no longer acting like a man of God, he's acting like his old self. God renamed him into Israel, which meant governed by God. Remember, Yaakov meant con man or deceiver. Now he's acting like Yaakov. He needs to throw Yaakov away and start acting like Israel, being governed by God. But back where he was in Shechem, he tried to fit in with the world. He sees that his life has even become polluted with idols, false gods. Here's the guy who met God, who talked to God and God talked to him. And now all the people around him with him have collected all of these false gods, idols made out of wood, idols made out of rocks, idols that can't see, can't do anything, can't move. In fact, remember, I think one of the funniest things in the Bible was Laban when he's coming after uh, Yaakov. He says, somebody stole my gods. Somebody stole my idols. What a sad commentary when you have a god that can be stolen. And there goes your God, someone's carrying it away, and the little God's going, Oh, help me, someone's taking me away. That's no God. That's a false God. It's just a piece of wood. It's just a rock. You can't do anything, can't hear, can't answer your prayers, and yet you carve them out with your own hands or some other hands of some other person, and then you bow down before it like it's the one that created you? Please. Now idols are what is filling up Yaakov's camp. And he sees what's happened to his life. A little compromise here. A little turn away from the straight and narrow path over here. And the first thing you know is you're not walking with God anymore. You're walking with the world. And one little compromise leads to another. You say, well, I'll just go to that movie and I'll just watch the start of that movie. I know it's a bad movie. I know there's all these scenes of violence and sex in there, but I'll just go and watch just a little bit. And the next thing you know, you stay for that whole movie and then you start seeing all these other different movies. And what happened to your life? You made a compromise here, a little turn there, but it turned into something else on down the road. The next time it was a bigger compromise. The next time it was another turn and then another turn away from God. And now you finally look up and see where you are and you go, how did I get this far away from the Lord? And now Yaakov is looking around because of this trial that he's in and he's seeking God and God speaks to him and says, get ready and come back to the place of God where you first met me. Come back to your first love. 
But as he's looking around at the people that he leads, they have all these false gods, all these idols. That's got to break the heart of a man of God. He looks at them and says, you know, this is not just about me. Yes, I've led myself astray. Yes, I've led my wives and my children astray. And all these other people that are with me, nobody knows how to worship the true and living God because I failed them. That's a heavy load for the patriarch of the family. It's a heavy load for the leader of the family. He's failed them and he sees them bringing all these idols and false gods. And I'm sure that as they're bringing these and they just keep bringing them, he's probably just crying a tear and going, my goodness, I didn't even know that all this was happening. Look at all this idolatry that's happened. While I was leading this family, I should have been a better example of a man of God. But anyway, he gets them to bring them. He says, we're going back to Bethel. To his credit, he says, we're going back to where God is. We're going back to where God first met me and proved his faithfulness and love for me. We're going back to God. We're going to return to our first love. Let's get rid of all those false gods, all those idols. He stayed around the world so much, he made so many compromises with the corrupt ways of the world that now his people have all of these idols. There were so many of them. But he got rid of these false idols. And he tells everybody that they're going to go back and serve the one true living God who's not made of wood, who's not made of a rock, who can talk, who can act, who can move, who is all-powerful, who's the creator of all things that exist, all the stars of heaven, every one of us made in His image, you see. He's going back and He's telling them, we're now going to go back and serve the one true living God, the Lord. He's the one we're going to serve, and He only will we serve. We need to do the same thing. Do you have false gods? What am I saying? Well, what about those things that you serve more than you serve God? You say, what things do I serve more than I'm serving God? Are you putting other things above God in your life? Are you putting other things before God in your life? What about your job? Are you putting your work above God? Are you living to work? Or are you working to live for God? Now, work can be a good thing as long as you understand that the one who is really providing the work for you is the Lord. He's the one that gives you the health to work, the breath, the heartbeat. He's the one who got you the job in the first place. <laughs> Remember the work that God has done in your life. Work at your job with a heart that is thankful to God for providing for you. Jobs can change. God never changes. He loves you now, and He will love you forever. He's caring for you now, and He'll be caring for you forever. What about money? Are you serving money more than serving God? What about wealth? Are you putting riches above God in life? Money comes and money goes. Oh, we all know that. Sometimes it goes more than it comes. <laughs> I understand. And you always think that you need more. Isn't it strange about money? You always think that you need more. When money is your God, you're always wanting more. And yet money can't buy you happiness. Money can't give you true peace in life. Inside your heart, God can. All money does for you is let you buy stuff. And stuff gets old. Stuff gets stolen. You're happy the day when you buy the stuff, then a few days later, you're no longer happy. And you tell yourself you must just need more stuff. So you go down to Stuff Mart and buy yourself some more stuff. But the person who has the Lord as their God, he's the one who's truly wealthy. That person, she's the one who's truly wealthy. That person is truly rich. They have the creator of the universe as their heavenly father. And all they need in life will be provided by His hand. Now notice that I said all that they need in life. Not everything that they want, but everything that they need. 
God loves you too much <clears throat> to give you something that's bad for you, something that would end up causing you hurt or making you sorrowful. Here's what I'm saying. There's more to life than stuff. Now, that's the way it was with other things as well, too. You can, you can worship power. Maybe you want power over other people or a position in the government that has authority over other people. You're a person of power. It's not wealth. It's not, it's not money. It's power. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe you just want to impress other people with who you are. Fame. Maybe you want fame. Maybe you want your 15 minutes of fame on YouTube. Or you want people to know your name. All around the world, you want them to know who you are and what you've done. Power, prestige, money, all of these things can be gods that you serve instead of serving the living God. Anything that would take your life and take it away from God and give it to something else is serving a false God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, in the New Testament, no one can serve two masters. For you will either hate one and love the other, and you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You've got to choose who you're going to serve. In the same way in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, about Tanakh, Yehoshua, Joshua says in uh, Joshua 24, 15, he says to the people, choose this day who you will serve. And then a few words later, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That should be what you say. That should be what you tell your family. That should be what you tell your friends you live like. That should be the example that you set for all those around you. That your life would not be given to stuff or money or power or wealth of any kind. But that your, but that your life would be given to the true and living God who made heaven and earth. He alone can give you peace and joy in life. He alone can give you that happiness deep down inside that nothing else can. And He alone gives you everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven forever. No more death, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. He alone is God. Serve Him. Now let's finish our study today starting in verse 8. It says, Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Beit El under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bachut. Then God appeared to Yaakov again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Yaakov, but your name shall not be Yaakov anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. You've now turned to me, Yaakov. Now you're governed by God. Your name is now Israel. Verse 11, also God said to him, I am God Almighty. He's telling Yaakov who he now is, a new person, a new creature, a new creation by believing on the one true living God. And now God says, I'll tell you who I am now. I am God Almighty. What was he saying? He was saying, Yaakov, you don't need anyone else but me. I'm not the God over the water or the God over the sky or the God over this mountain or the God over the land or the God over this or God over that. I am the only God over all things and I am all powerful. He's saying, Yaakov, I am God Almighty. I'm the only one you need. Then he tells Yaakov, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come forth from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked to him. Then verse 14, as we finish up, says, So Yaakov set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him. A pillar of stone, he poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Another altar, making an offering. And verse 15 concludes then, And Yaakov called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Beit El. 
You see, it was all about the place of God. God wants you to come to His place. You're walking along with God. And then one day, God says, you know what? We're a lot closer to my place than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? That's where I want to be, in the place of God. I want to be with the Lord. Now we see that the caregiver for Rebecca, Yaakov's mother, has died. She was very elderly, and now she's died. Time is moving on. So they bury her. We understand that each of the people in the Bible, as I've said before, are part of God's master plan. And in the same way, you and I are part of His plan. Everything you see is not about you. Everything is not about me. But it is an honor to be even a small part of the wonderful plan that God has for mankind. Because one day time will be swallowed up by eternity. All the pain and tears and death shall be no more. Our existence will no longer be one that grows old and dies, but rather a life that goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever. Everlasting life to all who believe on the Mashiach of Elohim. All who believe on the Messiah from God, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Son of God. Aben Elohim. And then we see in verse 10 that God reminds Yaakov that he's no longer Yaakov. He's not the con man or deceiver anymore. That's what Yaakov meant. No, now he's named Israel, which means governed by God. We said that. And happy is the people whose God is the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Is God your Lord? Finally, God tells Yaakov again of how he'll bless him. And indeed, bless all the earth through his seed, through Israel's seed. And remember, he is now Israel. He is now governed by God. It's going to be through his descendants that all of the earth gets blessed. Well, what do you mean by that? Israel, the country of Israel, is a blessing to all the earth. The seed, the people of Israel, Jewish people, have been a blessing to all the earth. The seed of Abraham, as God promised, would be a blessing to all the earth. And those that blessed Israel would be blessed. Those that cursed Israel would be cursed. Now God is saying that to Yaakov. And it is through his seed that the anointed one, HaMashiach, the Messiah, Yeshua, would come. The most famous Jewish person who ever lived. The one who is the Mashiach, Elohim, the Messiah from God. He lived he died for our sins. He lived a sinless life. And the power of God raised him from the dead. No one else had that claim that they had no sin in their life. Death could not hold him because death is the punishment for sin. He had no sin. And because he had no sin, he could take our sins upon himself because he was a sinless, perfect Sacrifice, a blemish-free Passover lamb, if you will. Chosen. And when God sees the blood of the blemish-free lamb, on the mezuzot, on the doorposts of your heart, he will pass over you in judgment, just like he did at that first Pesach in Hasefer Shemot V'Pedach Shemesrei, in chapter 12 of the book of Exodus. Now that is an amazing story that we can have everlasting life because of the love and plan of God. And here's Yaakov, a man who lived long before Jesus walked the earth again as a Messiah and gave his life on the cross. And yet Yaakov is going to be the one from whom the seed for that Messiah would come much, much later. And because of that, Yaakov is being told by God now, you're going to bless the whole earth. Many, many nations are going to be blessed because of you. Why? Because the Mashiach is going to come from you, and he's going to save people from their sins, and I can then give them everlasting life. Now, that's an amazing blessing indeed. And so our message closes out today with Yaakov building an altar and returning to give God thanks for all he's done. That's what that altar was about. Remembering to return and thank God for what he's done. And we need to always remember
to give thanks to God, our loving Heavenly Father, for giving us forgiveness, everlasting life through His Son, Yeshua. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Why don't you give your life to the Lord today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry, He'll answer you, and He'll rescue you from the darkness you're in. And He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given everlasting life, a new life too. And He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away, you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And like I said, everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. All of that is guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your own life today. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You can pray something like this and repeat it after me if you'd like. It's just simple from the heart prayer to God. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all of my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based, Bible-teaching church. Learn about the Lord every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.